Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Well, we start a new sermon series today called Family, Faith, and Failure. Um, The name of that song is Abraham. It's by a guy named Josh Baldwin, and uh, me and Pastor uh, Garrett sat back here about a week ago, about two weeks ago, I guess. I'd already asked him to play the song, and we sat here having a discussion about what it's like to be a man of God in a messed up world. Come on, can I be honest? What it's like to walk the life and the calling of Jesus when everything around you is trying to keep you from it. So we're going to talk about the life of Abraham, our wonderful father of faith who's almost as goofed up as me. And if me and Abraham can do it, we set the bar low for you. You can do it too. So you're going to want your Bibles open because we're going to be in Genesis. And we're going to walk around Genesis, but before I get all serious, what do you call a cow that doesn't give milk? A milk dud. What do you call a can opener that doesn't work? A can't opener. And don't tell me you can't do it, because even a trash can. You ever feel like if you had greater faith, everything would work out? Does anybody ever feel that way? Anybody ever been maybe like me? Um, a lot of the, the faith dialogue I grew up with was if you make the right confession, you do the right thing, God's got to do for you what you tell him to do. Does anybody, did anybody get that pounded in your head when you were young? All right, there are a few of you. The rest of you, if you've been at Harvest Ridge, I've really tried not to do that to you, all right? All right, because it's a lie. As a matter of fact, there was, um, I, I was listening to, Jason did a great job, uh, preaching on Wednesday night. I mean, it was amazing. For me, absolutely amazing. Uh, One of the things he talked about was a guy that was saying, um, until he died, he was saying, let me see, I'm healed in Jesus or God is a liar. If I'm not healed in Jesus, God is a liar. And he made that confession all the way to his deathbed. And at his deathbed, he was questioning whether or not God was a liar and why it didn't happen. That, my friends, is called witchcraft. It's, it's the you thinking you control God by the words you say. We had a lady years ago standing up in the lobby up here. She had MS. She walked in with a walker. And she's got her walker. And, and I, I knew she had had MS for quite some time. And um, I went over to her and I said, so how's your MS doing? And she said, I don't have MS. I was prayed for by certain, certain evangelists, and I don't have it anymore. And I said, okay. 
Uh, you done with the walker then? She said, no, I still have the symptoms. You see the mental hoops you have to jump through when, and, and, and the deal is a lot of us feel that way in life. We feel like if faith worked, everything would be perfect, right? Jesus said, speak to that mountain. It'll be thrown into the sea. Therefore I said, mountain, go throw yourself in the sea. And then nothing happened. Does anybody, does anybody ever struggle with this other than me? Yesterday I was praying about a situation I was a little ticked about. Believe it or not, I get ticked off about things. And I was praying about this situation, and the Holy Spirit started talking to me about how this situation of pain I'm dealing was actually bringing healing to somebody over here. I don't like that. Because I want to confess God moved the mountain and have it move. And sometimes we feel like if we were great people of faith, then everything would work out. But this systemic, deluded, half-truth type of faith is the bane of my existence. And I'm trying to talk people out of it all the time. Because God is at work through your faith, whether you see it or not. I want you to think about what you believe. I want you to wrestle with what is truth. I want you to struggle to have a healthy relationship with God. I want that for you. I want you to look facts in the eye and look faith in the eye and hold on to facts and hold on to faith and to grab the two and pull them together and live a life that your neighbors can't deny is different. That's what I want for you. I want the kind of life that when you hear things that don't make sense, you filter it through God and his word and truth and then you can make enough sense of it that you continue to walk in your faith and with your strength. Now, the fact that you're even here this morning listening to this message means that you have, a, you have some faith. I don't care how you got here. The fact that you're here means that you have faith. You believe there's a God even though you struggle to define him. And by the way, that's good that you struggle to define God. Because if you could define God, then you can wrap your mind around him. Then he's not God, you are. I, I hope when you're an old man or an old lady facing the grave, you're still learning things about the nature and being of God because when you see him in all of his splendor and glory for the very first time, it is not going to be, oh, I knew it was you. <laughs> you're going to hit the ground. Your face is going to hit the ground and you're going to go, wow, I am amazed. I, 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 anyway, I don't have time to get into that. So what I want to do through this sermon series is we want to encourage you. Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Abraham's family and how his faith journey affected his family, both positive and negative. There were some positives and negatives. We're going to look at his journey of faith, and we're going to try to learn from it. But I want to start today by just looking at our journey of faith, the journey that leads us to believe that Jesus is God become man. He died for our sins on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day. We confess him as Lord, and now we try to walk out this life of faith. This belief doesn't solve all your problems. And you're going to find out in Abraham's life, this belief does not solve your problems. You see, we still have to interact with work, with family, our community, and ourselves. And a lot of us are just like this picture we're going to put up on the screen. Do you know what this is? 
That's a nail that somebody hit with a hammer and bent it. And you know what? You straighten that sucker up. You can straighten it pretty well, and you straighten it. First time you hit it wrong, what's going to happen to that nail? It's going to bend again. And you and I are bent nails. We are bent by sin. And, and all of a sudden, we think when we get saved, we think all of a sudden we turn into awesome people of God that never make mistakes. And I'm going to tell you, no, you're still a bent nail. And until you die, you're still a bent nail. You're going to struggle with those same things. You live in a flesh that has been tainted by sin. And I want to encourage you. I want to be very, very clear. I want to encourage you that even if you struggle with sin and you struggle with being a bent nail and you struggle with everything not being right, you don't quit. You straighten back up and try again. And that's what we're going to learn from Abraham. Okay? So, in this sermon series, we're talking about the father of faith, Abraham. His story was filled with a lot of promises with God. That's what we're going to look at today. And yet this Abraham, this Abraham is called the friend of God in James 2, 23. And, and he's called in Galatians 3, 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So if you have any faith whatsoever, you are a child, a descendant of Abraham because he is the father of of faith. As we'll find out, Abraham is less than a perfect man, but Abraham still reshaped the world, even through his imperfections. He reshaped the world through his faith, and he did so by doing two things, and these are the two things. You might want to write these down somewhere. These are the two things. Number one, obey what God has clearly commanded. Listen. I don't have to worry about disputable matters in my faith because those are disputable matters. I have enough trouble obeying what I know God's clearly told me to do. I don't need to make up a bunch of rules because one or two rules are enough for me, like love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. Have you driven when the roads are covered with snow everywhere? Have you driven? It's hard to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So obey what God has clearly commanded. And number two, pass your experience on to those who follow you. That's the two things Abraham did through all of his mistakes that you cannot doubt. He obeyed what God clearly commanded, and he passed his experience on to the next generation. So today what we're going to look at are the promises of God. Uh, four promises made to Abraham. The first promise is this. It's in Genesis chapter 12, and it is leave and become great. Leave and become great. This was the promise God gave to Abraham. Now, can we stop right here? Can I establish something for you and I? I believe that God clearly has made a bunch of promises to us. And according to the book of Hebrews, all those promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. They're yes, God says yes, amen. There are promises God wants, I believe, that God wants what's best for our lives, your life, your kid's life, yours. If you argue with God about what is best for your life, you will pay the price until you get back on his track. That's a core belief of mine. There's a God who knows me, who loves me, and believes what's best for me and wants what's best for me. He's made lots of promises to me, and he's made lots of promises to you. And we're going to see from Abraham's life that the number one thing we find about Abraham's interaction with God is that God made a lot of promises to him. 
Do you know God loves you? He wants to give you the best life you can have. He wants you to be a blessing to your family and to your community and your world. And God wants you to live in such a way that you have joy and peace and mercy and blessing and grace and power. That's what God wants for you. If I, if I believed any different, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Because here's the deal. You've got a lot of things. This culture is telling you a lot of things that you need to believe. And they're all trying to steal away from you what God's telling you is the best thing to believe. So like Abraham, we've got to do something. We've got to make up our mind to leave our preconceptions of what we want out of life and accept God's best for our lives. We have to leave to become great. And it starts in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country. <laughs> Just go, leave your people, your father's household, to where I'm going to show you. I have a better vision for your future than you have for your future. Leave, he says, I will, I will make you then into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will make you a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So there, he says you got to leave what you know to step into this life of what you don't know. And if you'll do that, I will give you all the things your heart really craves. Leave your family's way of thinking. Your family of origin has a strong, strong, strong impact on the way you live. You've got you to gotta leave behind your family of origin's way of thinking. You've got to leave behind your culture's way of thinking. You've got to go out of the land you're in. I'm talking metaphorically here, but I think this is very clear. What Abraham was called to do was literally pick up and move away from everybody so it would be just him and God. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to leave all the things that you put your pride and your, your hope in and all of those things when you leave them and go only to him, I believe, according to this promise and many promises in the Bible, when you step aside from what is secondary and you step into what is first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of that stuff will be added to you. There's a priority here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Put him first. I don't care. So he promises some great things. Do y'all get this? Sometimes you got to leave that to get to this. Do you know if you want to go on vacation in Florida, you have to leave physically Ohio? Did you know that? If you want to go ice fishing, I have no idea why you would want to. But you have to leave Florida and go someplace like Cleveland right now. Are, are y'all following me? You can't be both places. You can't be all in for God and all in for the way the world says to live your life. At some point, you've got to make a decision. And he promises, I'll make you a great nation, I'll make you a great name, and you'll be a blessing to everyone, not just you. You'll be a blessing to everyone. And then he says this, you'll be protected. All right, I've, I've already... Let me, let me just read what I wrote word for word, okay? God's vision for you is not for you to be broke in debt with broken relationships, drunk, bitter, angry, and alone. God's got a better life for you than that. All right? Second thing, he, second promise is he's going to increase his family. Increase his family. So 
Now, now remember, when this next one here in uh, Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 happens, when this promise happens, Abraham is already 75. Now, I haven't yet made it 75, but if my body feels like it does now, by the time I get 75, I'm thinking, I'm not going to feel like God's going to give me family and kids. I'm going to think that might be a curse. <laughs> I might be saying, I'm a little old for this now, you know? I'm thinking, I got one more. She's going to graduate this year, and then all of them will be off the payroll. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That excites me. At 75, I'm not thinking, oh, I'm going to have kids. But Abraham, Abraham, he gets a promise from God. Yeah, hold on, hold on. How many times do we think that God's best for us is a little slow in coming? Anyway, uh, it's chapter 13, Genesis 13. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around you from where you are to the north, the south, the east, and the west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring. There's only one problem. Does anybody know what the problem with that he's going to give it to his offspring is? Does anybody know what that problem is? He doesn't have any kids. He doesn't have any offspring. He's got no offspring. God says, I'm going to give all this to your offspring. He's 75. There's a problem here. Can we admit that there's a little problem with this faith walk? Yeah, all right. He said, I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, your offering will be counted. <laughs> Abraham's thinking, I'm 75? How? What? I don't get it. Go, and then he says, go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. Yeah. There's something about walking around and praying. There's something about it like walking into your kid's room, laying your hands on their pillow and saying, Jesus, while their head's on this pillow, I pray that their mind would change in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right? There's something about walking out. Anyway, try walking and praying. I believe, I believe something. God's going to give me everywhere this footsteps. So invite me over to your house. You, you and your family will serve Jesus forever. I just... Maybe I'm crazy, but I believe that stuff, right? Just crazy. I believe that stuff. Sons and generations, he says. Genesis chapter 15, this is just a little bit later. It's the same promise, the promise of increase of family. He says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now, I've got to stop right here because... All of these promises are about Abraham getting kids and becoming great and important. But God says, basically in this line, I am the content of the promise. I am the real promise. I, for those who live this life, who... Maybe you've lived your entire life expecting God to do something and it hasn't happened the way you've wanted it. Can I tell you that maybe you've been focused on the wrong thing? A relationship with a living God is going to last for eternity. But that job you want will only last a few years until you get too tired to keep doing it. God is your reward. 
God is your reward. And that's totally against all the thinking of this world, you know? That sounds so spiritual, but actually it's not so spiritual. Because you see, if God were not my reward, I would have been, <clears throat> can I back up? Broke in debt, broken relationships, drunk, angry, bitter, and alone. If God weren't in my life, God is my reward. And when you seek first the kingdom of God and you seek him first, all these other things get added. And God is reminding Abraham here, first in this promise, I am your reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram, Abram, notice his name is Abram here, said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the Lord, a word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He, will, uh, he, will, or he took him outside then. And he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Now, hold on, hold on. I was in Oklahoma several years ago. And uh, it was one of those nights. My brother at that time lived in Marble City, Oklahoma, which is off the dirt road. <laughs> Seriously, it's off the dirt road. I mean, you, you got to go to the end of pavement. You go to the highway, then you go past the town where the highway is, and then you go up the road, and then you go past the dirt road. Has anybody ever been to any place like that? That's where we were. You know, there are no street lights out there. And I had to take a leak. <laughs> there are no street lights. Nobody sees, nobody cares. You know what I did? Come on, what do you do in those moments? Pull over to the side of the road. I'm taking a leak. I look up, there's no lights anywhere. And I'm like, wow. You know what I had to do? Hey, kids, get out of the car. Don't step here, but get out of the car. <laughs> right? And you know what we did? We looked up at all the multitudes of millions and billions of lights in the sky. That's what Abraham was looking at. And God, God called him outside and said, Abraham, I know you don't have a kid, but see all them? If you can count them, you can count your number of kids. That seems odd, doesn't it? And I want you to read this next line, okay? You ready? Abraham believed the Lord. Can you, can you go to the next slide? Abraham did what? He called him and he said, Hey, Abraham. <laughs> you listening? And he said, Abraham did what? He believed the Lord. That seems absolutely silly for a 70, by this time, an 85-year-old guy that doesn't have any kids. An 85-year-old guy that has no kids to look at the stars in the sky and say, that's how many my offspring will be. And he's got no kid. But he did what? He believed. And the Lord credited it to him as, you're wonderful. No, no, he credited it as what? Now, this is key in understanding the whole faith journey we're going to walk through with Abraham. A lot of us are going to look at his life and say, that's not a very righteous life. And you're right. In many ways, he goofed up really, really, really badly. But Abraham believed what God promised him, and it was credited to him, not as a blessing, not as fulfilling it, but as what? Righteousness. God filled up what Abraham was lacking because Abraham simply believed. 
Now, just to ask you a simple question, all right? Has this promise been fulfilled? Come on, anybody that knows anything about him having a son and then his son having 12 sons, and has this promise been fulfilled? Just think about, um, Abraham has children that when they tried to extinguish six million of them, wiping out two-thirds of the Jewish population just in Europe alone, they didn't wipe out the entire Jewish population. It still exists to this day. And there are the seed of Abraham that exists to this day, and they are a race regardless of what Whoopi Goldberg says. Because they are descendants of Abraham. Think about this. This promise has been fulfilled. We get to see it fulfilled. He didn't. We see it. We know it's fact. He didn't. And I wonder who's going to talk about our promises that God gave me in 40 years from now and see the fulfillment of the promises of what God gave me. And they're going to say, yeah, God did it, even though he didn't see it. So the whole point I want to convince you, if if we could have one takeaway from Abraham's life, it would be this, that he believed the Lord and God gave him not only fulfillment of the promise, but righteousness to stand in his presence. All right, so the third is covenants. He made a covenant. God made a covenant with him. So there's a ceremony. This ceremony is also in Jeremiah chapter 34. Hopefully later this year, I'm going to talk about uh, um, we're going to walk through some essentials, and one of the things we're going to talk about is our covenantal theology. And then we'll look at Jeremiah 34 a little closer. But let's look at Genesis chapter 15, and verse 8. Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how will I know that I will gain possession of this land? The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer. I love that word, heifer. I grew up in Oklahoma. When my mom would get mad at some girl, she'd call her a heifer. And I'm sorry, I cannot read. I cannot read the word heifer without thinking. (laughs) Bring me that heifer. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him and cut them in two. So he takes the animal, he cuts them in two. And he arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then birds of prey came down on the carpaces, but Abraham drove it away. And I love this line because when God makes you a promise and he wants to make a covenant with you and he wants to make a blessing on your life, there are going to be birds of prey that are going to try to come steal it. And you're going to have to drive them away. And it's going to come, first of all, birds of prey start in your head, right? The old saying is, you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. Yeah, the birds of prey are coming. They're going to come in anxiety. They're going to come in fear. They're going to come in doubt. They're going to come in arguments. They're going to come in everything. And if you want to be a person of faith, you're going to have to shoo those birds of prey away by saying, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. We read the Bible so we can understand what God is doing in our lives and guiding us into. And we apply those scriptures to those moments where the birds of prey come our way. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more and more and more abundantly. All right. Genesis 15, 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. So here's what's going on, all right? 
Right, this is how you made a covenant. You would take your two pieces. This side's going to be one half of the heifer and the other half of the heifer. All right? And there's this, this path down the middle. Now, if you cut a heifer in half here and you drag half over here and half over there, what's going to be in the middle? A vacant spot, but there's going to be something on the ground. And that, it's going to be what? Blood. Yes, blood. So, what, making of a covenant is then the, the person makes their vow on this side of the pieces. And after they make their vow, they then walk through the pieces and they say, if I break my covenant to you, may I be dead, cut in two, and my blood spilled on the ground like this animal. Does everybody follow that? That's how you made a covenant. Now, notice you don't walk through the pieces, then make the vow. So you don't have sex first, and then you make the promise at the altar. Because marriage is a covenant. Oh, sorry. If that embarrasses you, I'm sorry, it's biblical. Don't tell anybody. So a covenant is made. Covenant is made is when the pieces are divided you make your vow, then you pass through saying, I will keep my vow. Okay? So that's how covenant's made. And if you break your covenant, what happens? You deserve to die. By the way, the wedding covenant, can I talk about this for a second? That's the reason you stand at an altar and you say in sickness and health, for better, for poorer, richer, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, forsaking until I get a computer screen. Forsaking all others, keep myself only unto you as long as we, what? Both shall live. Not until you tick me off or you become inconvenient. Are, are y'all getting this? And then you celebrate the covenant. I, I'm talking about covenants here. These are covenants. And if you break a covenant, what do you deserve? What? About a third of you got it. If you break the covenant, what do you deserve? Death. You're saying, when you make a covenant, you say, I vow to you, I will keep my promise to you. Huh. Where am I at now? I'm talking about covenant. And God showed up. And God made a vow to Abraham, and he passed through the peace. What's the vow? The vow is that, uh, that he will have many children and that he will inherit the land. Okay? And what's the sign? There's always a sign that follows a covenant. Real quick, here's the sign. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be faithful and be blameless, God said to Abraham. Then I will make my covenant. Now, notice the language changed from promises to covenant now. These are promises backed up by a promise of death. He said, I will make my covenant between you, uh, me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram, still Abram, still no kids, still no offspring, still nothing. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. You will no longer be called Abram. Now you're going to be called Abraham. What? Change my I still don't have a kid, and you're calling me a father of many nations. Abram means exalted father. Abram means father of the multitude. 
So he's going to walk around now for about another five years calling himself father of the multitude. How many kids do you have? None. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I've made you father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. Is that true? Did that happen? Oh, yeah. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants or, and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. All right. So what happened next was huh, Abraham now is told, you've got to do this if you're going to believe my promise. So he says, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. What? Right then, that takes faith I may not have. 95-year-old man? Yeah. Ouch. Hey, God, you can have all of me except my junk. That's my part. I do with it what I want. Oh, yeah, we'll cut it. Wait, you think there's a part of you that God doesn't want to invade your life? Because he wants all of you, not just the parts you want to present to him whenever you feel like it. You are to undergo circumcision. And if you don't know what that is, ask somebody later. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. For generations to come, every male among you is eight days old must be circumcised. By the way, what happened to Jesus when he was eight days old? He was circumcised, right? Because he was a descendant of Abraham. So a 95-year-old guy cuts his private parts and his whole family. I'm like, yeah, boss, I'm not sure. You want me to do what to work for you? <laughs> Come on. Can we just agree there's some tension in this? Oh, we're so Christianized in America, we don't talk about it until we get in private. And then we go nuts. Why don't we talk about it in public so we don't have to go nuts in private? Oh, sorry, that's a different story. On that day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those. So he did have a son, but it was that we'll get to that next week, trust me. And all those born in his household bought or sold with his money. Every male in his household, he circumcised them as God told him to. Once again, he was obedient. All right, here we go. Last promise, last promise. It's time. For 25 years, God had been promising a son, still no son. He had a mistake. Ishmael. We'll talk about that next week. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 and 2. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of a tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, notice this is a guy that should be mad at God for 25 years. And what does he do? He hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, bowed low to them. What else did he do? He ran into his tent, verse 6. And he said to Sarah, quick, get three seas of finest flour. There's some spiritual significance there. That's like enough to feed 400 people. Three seas of the finest flour, knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf. By the way, a calf for three people? Why would you kill a calf for three people? A calf is enough to feed like 150 people. And then he did what? He gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set those before him. And while they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Imagine, this is a lavish feast for three people. 
And they said, do you know what that tells me? Can I tell you what that tells me? In the 25 years of waiting, Abraham's heart did not get hard. He remained soft, humble, pliable. He had learned from God. He had heard God's voice. He believed God, even though he didn't see it. And in the hard, meantime, he didn't grow hardened towards people and to God. He actually got softer because he was filled with humility and, and um, he, he honored those people that came to him, hospitality. So where's your wife, Sarah, they asked him. She's there in the tent. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. What? Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. They're now 99 years old. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will turn to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied. You're going to see a lot of this in this story with them. She lied. I didn't laugh. But God said, this is the angel Lord of Theophany. I don't know what it is. We'll get into that maybe some other time theologically. But somehow, a representative of God showed up and said, next year, you're going to have a son. She said, no, I didn't laugh. And the angel Lord said, yes, you did, because God sees everything. All right, so this process had been so long, it seemed absurd. God's not a vending machine. We put money in, we get blessing out. God is more concerned about you becoming a person of faith than he is about you getting what you want. So God has made some promises like the carrot dangling in front of the proverbial horse to keep you walking the right direction until he gives you the seeds of its fulfillment. And what I want to challenge you today is just very, very simple. I want to challenge you that we would learn from Abram, who became Abraham. God made Abram promises over and over and over again. God also has made promises to you. He wants to bless you. And these promises took some time to fulfill. The one, I will bless all peoples through you. Let me see, when Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross and gave salvation open to all humanity, was that promise fulfilled? Every promise we read was fulfilled. Do you get this? Every promise was fulfilled. Just not when Abraham thought. <sighs> Through this process, Abraham and Sarah occasionally acted outside of the faith they claimed. Anybody ever done that other than me? I claim faith and sometimes I act outside of it. Yet when push came to shove, Abraham maintained his faith and we know that by his actions like circumcision at the age of 95. Right? When God said it, he obeyed it. God said, leave. He left. God said, circumcise. He circumcised. A little later on, we're going to read about some other things God said to do. And he did because he believed when God spoke, it was his job to obey. And then I've got one other question for you. Think about this. How do we know any of these stories? How do we know them? Because Abraham passed his faith journey along. So that's it. That's it. Done. So I'm going to read one scripture and then we're going to be done for today. Y'all ready? 
All right, so the man's going to come up, Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Romans chapter 4, verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. So even though he shouldn't have hoped, he still did. And he became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. He wasn't like that lady up in the lobby saying, I don't have MS. No, no. He faced the facts. It's possible to face the facts of where you are and what you have without being weak in your faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Can we go to the next slide? Yet he did not waver through unbelief. Oh, yeah, since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. And he did what? He gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. All right, now here's the ending of this service today. Y'all ready for this? This is a big ending. Y'all ready? Really, really big. I'm going to ask you to do two things. When God speaks it, obey. And pass your story on. Yep, that sounds really spiritual. Really awesome, really emotionally moving. No, it's not. I've wrestled with this. My wife was like, why are you so uncomfortable with this sermon? I said, because I've got to end it. I'll tell you how i got to end it. God's gave you promises. Start acting like it. How does that look? I don't know. You know. You know I don't. Start acting like it. He tells you to do something. What do you do? If he tells you to do something, what do you do? You do it. And you pass along your faith journey to those around you. I thought this was going to be inspiring. I don't want to do that. Do it anyway. Because the song we sang, I love it. I've listened to it thousands of times. I believe now. And I'm going to sing now because I believe now. Because you're faithful and you carried me. There's a mountain in between what you said and what I see. And there's this mountain in between. Between what you said and what I see right now. There's this mountain. So I'm going to go ahead and live it out. That's the reason we did the Abraham song. I want to challenge you today. Take the next step of belief. The next one. Obey it. Do it. You know it. Do it. Okay? Would you stand with me? Okay, God. Let us take the next step of belief. Let us do what's next. And as we're walking it out, acting on what you told us to do. You didn't tell us everything you told us that way. Leave that junk today that you spoke to somebody today, something they need to leave. I pray in the name of Jesus they would leave it right now. And they would say, I will choose God over that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, I pray that as we walk it out, we would walk in the power and the life and the freedom of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. May God bless you. Have a great week. Go walk it out and share it with everybody you know.